Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 39. The full assurance of faith. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and not, neglect, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. <clears throat> for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a, a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. <clears throat> But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partnered with those who treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming, the coming one will come, no, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not one of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Bless the word of the Lord. Razwan, thanks very much for reading your passage first. Uh, you find on your table this handout for you to follow along, and you might find it helpful uh, to take some notes if you like. Well, I, I want all of us to, to look up for a moment and to take a good look at the person next to you, um, or in front of you, or behind you. Or those in the call to take a good look at those all in the call. And here's the question. Well, will all of us still be trusting in Jesus 10, 20, or 30 years from now? Yeah, so. What are the chances that the person who is next to you, or in front of you, or beside you, or yourself, will still be trusting in Jesus 10, 20, 30 years from now? Some of you may be familiar with the parable of the sower, uh, that Jesus, he predicts that three out of four uh, types of soils, they fall away uh, because of tribulation and distress. Uh, you have reputations at risk. Uh, you are made fun of for being a Christian. Uh, people fear and they fall away. Or the third soil, uh, because of the cares of the world, the corporate ladder, 
the comfortable life, the respectable life. And all those things, they choke the word and people fall away. Here's the question. Will all of us still be trusting in Jesus 10, 20, or 30 years from now? Uh, over Easter, I went back to Singapore, and the last time I was back I was four years ago. You must imagine my parents were very pleased to see me. Um, and it was really good meeting family and friends and also church family. But it was also very disheartening to hear that some of my close friends uh, who were once really zealous for the Lord, some of them are barely clinging on to the Christian faith, some of them have fallen away. And so if statistics is anything to go by, um, and if Church of England attendance is a proxy to how many fall away, um, people um, kind of leave church and an average about 10 to 15% every 10 years. So the stats say that 30%, roughly about 30% of us will fall away in 30 years. Is that going to be true of all of us here? Well, we are coming to the tail end of our time in Hebrews. And we have um, roughly about six more talks in this book in the last few chapters. And in the earlier chapters, we considered the topics of help. Uh, where do we find help in times of need? We also talked about issues of our troubled conscience. You know, how do you deal with a conscience, the thing that keeps people up at night? But when we come to chapter 10, verse 19, uh, everything that we've been seeing so far in Hebrews, it lands here. It lands here in the book. And the big topic that we'll be thinking about for the next few weeks is this topic of endurance. How do we make it to the end? I look at verse 36. The author of Hebrews writes, for you have need of endurance. And so my goal in our last few weeks in this marvelous book is to persuade you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to keep going to the end. That in 10 years' time or 20 years' time, as we kind of look back to today, uh, we'll see that all of us here, each and every one of us here, will still be walking with the Lord. And I want you to notice as well, the encouragement to endure was exactly what the original needed, the readers, um, those who first read the letter of Hebrews, what they needed to hear. Now look at verse 32, as the author describes their situation. Verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourself had a, had, had a better possession and an abiding one. You notice they, they faced trials, and there was reputational risk for them or financial risk and they were weary and at risk of giving up and so they needed endurance but how how will they endure and here is the silver bullet that is given by our altar uh, to keep them going but also to keep us going and the answer to keep going is four words four words jesus christ is Lord. That is the confession of the Christian. Jesus Christ is Lord. Just those four words. It provides all the resources that you need to keep going to the end. 
See those four words. It is not a trite statement that everything will be okay. It is not an unrelatable truth with no relevance to day to day. But it is a fact of history that Jesus Christ is Lord has a universal impact, yet it's intensely personal for each individual. That's the answer. As we understand, as we, we grasp, as we truly comprehend that Jesus Christ is Lord, that will keep you going to the end. Okay, you might say, uh, sounds good in practice. What does it actually mean? Um, those four words, is that really enough to keep us going? But here's what I think the author Hebrews means by those four words, Jesus Christ is Lord. It means that Jesus has gone through a journey, a journey. Well, if you've been coming before, uh, you've heard this before, uh, but the author wants us to see that in the book of Hebrews, Jesus has gone through a journey. He starts from heaven, he comes down as a man, he dies and he resurrects and he ascends to heaven as Lord, the Lord who sits at God's right hand. Uh, you might want to draw that. It's a U-shaped journey on the handout. It goes down from heaven, death, resurrection, ascension as Lord. And so when we confess that Jesus is Lord, a part of it is to recognize, firstly on your handout in point number one, that Jesus is our ascended Lord. He's our ascended Lord who has opened a way to God. I look to verse 19 of our passage today. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. You notice often when uh, we speak about salvation, uh, it's very common to speak about the death and resurrection of Jesus. But here, our author, he emphasizes on the next step of the journey, the ascension. Uh, the fact that Jesus, he ascended not just up somewhere in the clouds, not just up there, but into a really specific location. I look there in verse 19. He's gone into the holy places, and it is the way through the curtain, verse 20. And also we know that he sat down at God's right hand. And so his geographical proximity to, to God uh, it means that we are also close to God. Uh, verse 19, uh, we have confidence to enter. Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us. For us. And so that is what it means to confess Jesus is Lord, is to confess that he's the ascended Lord, the one who has opened the way for us to God. Okay, what does it mean for us? Practically speaking, look at verse 22. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. But do you see the point? We can draw near with full assurance because Jesus is already next to God's side on our behalf. I wonder whether you have realized there's a close relationship between proximity and your insights or your conscience be cleansed. Uh, on Friday night, I had a disagreement with my wife, Matilda, and you know, we, we let it continue to Saturday morning. 
And on Saturday morning, before the day started, there were two options that we could have done. Uh, we could reconcile with one another, or we could stay angry with one another. Uh, but we decided to, to hug and to forgive. And at the moment when we embraced one another, uh, there was real closeness in terms of geographical proximity as we reconciled with one another. But internally, it felt really good uh, that forgiveness was offered and received. And so that's the, the correlation between geographical proximity and your insights being, being cleansed. I see because Jesus is at God's right hand, as we draw near to him, we are close to him, our insights are cleansed. We have a true heart. Our hearts are sprinkled clean. Our conscience are cleansed, are paid by the blood of Jesus. So today, if you feel the temptation to to stray, uh, to shrink back from God, don't draw near to him. Well, apart from drawing near, the author also says, uh, secondly, hold fast. Uh, look at verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What does it mean to, to hold fast to our confession? But it means not to doubt, not to waver, to have real conviction and confidence in the historical event. And if you have drawn the U-shaped journey as, as Jesus has gone through that U-shaped journey um, in history, all the promises of God have come to pass. You think about the fact that he became man on uh, Christmas Day, may, may or may not be Christmas Day, but the fact that he became man, um, the promise of a new Adam, a man to rule this world. When he died, the promise of a sin-bearing death, Isaiah 53. His resurrection, the promise of a priest who lives forever, Psalm 110. And the ascension, the promise of a new covenant, Jeremiah 31. So the whole journey of Jesus, the historical journey, it proves that God is faithful. So if you are doubting your confession, don't hold fast without wavering. A thirdly, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, the journey is not meant to be done alone each one of us each one of you in this room and also on the call has a responsibility to encourage one another see each one of us are at different stages of life some of you some of you guys are old and wiser some a bit younger and so the older ones has the privilege of being slightly older to encourage the younger ones but the younger ones have the privilege of perhaps less responsibilities having a bit more energy to encourage the older ones as well. Some of us who have been coming to Covenant Talks for a long time might remember Ian, um, who many of us call the, the father or the papa of Covenant Talks, um, his older chap. And many of us have really benefited from his encouragement. Uh, he used to run the prayer meetings. He would meet people from coffee to encourage them. Uh, that's what it means to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And notice the word consider. Uh, to consider how to do so, uh, it requires a consideration, a thinking, a being intentional about how to stir 
each other up. And I acknowledge that uh, in the lunchtime ministry, um, it's really challenging because we always press for time. There are deadlines, you have pressure from your bosses, you have meetings, and you have uh, working from home. But I want to encourage each and every one of you as you come here, and not only to receive, but also to give, to think about how you can encourage the person next to you. Again, for, uh, for those um, in, um, when we're running a hybrid meeting, a part of us is to cater to this whole new style of this new normal of working. Um, and I understand that there are uh, new changes in the way we work, uh, but perhaps it might be more costly to come in in person, but there's real value in doing so because coming in person enables us to stir one another up to love and good works. So just coming here for yourself, sorry, my encouragement is, is don't. I think about the person next to you, how you can consider to stir each of them up to love and good works. Now let's try to pull some thoughts together. How do we endure to the end? How do you resist the temptation to drift uh, when the cares of this world start to choke? Well, rather than drift, uh, remember your confession. When you say Jesus Christ is Lord, it means that he is ascended on high. He's right at his father's side. He has opened the way to heaven for you. And so draw near to him, hold fast to your confession, and consider how to stir each one up to love and good works. Well, our author has provided us motivation to keep going um, on the journey. But how about the end? How would the end of the journey motivate us to endure? And again, our confession, Jesus Christ is Lord, is the answer to everything in life. You see, the journey that Jesus goes, it's a U-shaped journey, has one more part of the journey to it. Because um, when he, the fact that he goes up to heaven, ascended, it means that he will come back. It means that he will come back. Look at chapter 9, verse 28. Chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Again, verse, chapter 10, verse 25. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near because the journey of jesus is not over yet he has one more leg in his journey his journey that he will come back so if you've drawn a u-shape um, you have to draw one more dash that he's coming back he's coming back soon and that's our second point for today jesus our lord is coming soon our lord is coming soon and there are two possible outcomes when he comes Firstly, there is a fearful judgment. I look at verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fear of fire that will consume the adversaries. When you notice that our author, he describes judgment as really fearful. Um, it's a really scary description of judgment, of verse 27, a fearful expectation of judgment, a fury of fire, verse 31. It is a fearful thing 
to fall into the hands of the living God. And so our author, he's not afraid to speak about judgment, like some of us might be, but he shouldn't be afraid because judgment, it makes sense. You see, if we sin deliberately, and what I think he means is if we reject Jesus, that's what he means to sin deliberately. If we reject the definitive forgiveness of sins, if we reject his help, and as we can't consider him as an enemy, when he comes back, he will come back as an adversary and not a friend. And so judgment is the only logical outcome. Well, I've got a picture here, which you probably can't see. Uh, for those of us who went to the British Museum tour, uh, those from the Rothsay gang, um, this is a relief from the British Museum on the siege of a Jewish town of Akish. Um, and it's a historical fact that because of Israel's rejection of the law of Moses, that they were sent into exile, roughly 587 BC, because they rejected the law of Moses. And look at verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. See, Israel, they were sent into exile because of breaking the law, the covenant they made with Moses. And so our author, he argues from the lesser to the greater. Look at verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the spirit of grace? You see, to, to spurn the Son, to reject the confession, to profane the blood of the covenant, to reject the forgiveness that's on offer, to outrage the spirit of grace, to reject the internal testimony of the spirit. There will be fearful judgment. A fearful judgment awaits. Verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so here is also motivation for you to keep going to the end. Remember your confession. Jesus is Lord. It means that he will come back soon. That is the next step in his agenda. That is the only thing next on his diary. We cannot rely on what we have done in the past. God, he once judged his people who rejected him. And verse 30, the Lord judged, will judge his people. So if you reject the Lord, a fearful judgment awaits. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So if you are considering giving up, don't. Uh, a fearful judgment awaits but also on the flip side of a fearful judgment is a great reward. I look at verse 35, verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Now you might be wondering, what is the reward uh, that's on promise? And the answer is, well, you've got to come back the subsequent weeks, where we'll find out a bit more what the reward is. But for today, all you need to know that it's a great, it is a great reward. And the author thinks that knowing that there's a great reward at the end is enough to keep you going. It's enough for you to um, experience the loss of reputation, like the original readers, uh, the loss of financial gain. 
to be less well liked by people, perhaps less respected, and more bold, more willing to count the cost of following Jesus because a great reward awaits. And so our author in the last bit, he is pushing our readers to consider that Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon, verse 37. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. Now you might wonder, 2,000 years is a little while. I mean, not really, is it? And the truth is, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea when Jesus is coming back. But what I do know is that he will not delay. But the coming one will come and not delay. So Jesus, you can be very sure he's not just chilling in heaven. He's not procrastinating like most of us do. Uh, he's not having a pantry break or his meetings have not overran. Uh, he will not delay. And so he is coming soon. A fearful judgment if we shrink back but a great reward if we hold fast. And so that is the secret to make it to the end. Uh, the silver bullet keep all of us from falling away is you hold on to your, your confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Are you really grasp? You really think about what that means. And it means that he is ascended, ascended into God's right hand. And so you can be as close as possible to God, because he's just at his father's right hand. So draw near. But because he's ascended, he's going to come back. And because he comes back, there will be a judgment or a reward. And he will come and not delay. And so if you call yourself Christian, if you recognize Jesus as Lord, that is what you actually mean when you confess with your lips, Jesus is Lord. It's worth thinking about what that actually means as you get back to your office. Uh, just, just think a bit more for yourself. Well, the next passage um, is in mean, chapter 11. Uh, the author, he provides us models of faith where we can learn from uh, people who have endured to the end. And it becomes examples for us to follow. And so for my prayer for all of us in the last few chapters in the book of Hebrews is that we will be encouraged, we'll be strengthened to keep going to the end. And you look around in this room at those who are sitting next to you or in front of you and you look at yourself and those on a Zoom call, that all of us in 10 or 20 or 30 years from now, all of us will still be walking with the Lord. None of us would have shrunk back. We will be stirring each other up to love and good works. And we'll keep our eyes on the day when our Lord Jesus will return. Why don't I pray for all time?